Open your Bibles tonight, if you would please, to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus, the 19th chapter. Exodus chapter 19. And uh, of course, I know people have been traveling, doing different things. And so if you've not been keeping up with us on the podcast, you might want to go back and do that. Of course, we took a little time out uh, last week uh, in our midweek, right before Thanksgiving, and had a good time talking about not complaining. Has anybody been watching yourself? Yeah, I've heard a little bit about it. Saw a little bit about it on Facebook. And uh, good for you. Good for you. And uh, so we just got, we had a good time. But we, uh, we saw, as the Lord helped us, that uh, complaining is a real serious thing. And the enemy can take advantage of that sin and uh, wreak a lot of havoc. Uh, so stay with it, right? Amen. You know, I live... Uh, I live with someone who's very challenging, not because of anything negative, but because of, in in a lot of ways, she's just out there ahead of me. And one of the areas that she just does better is she's a lot slower to complain than I am. And, uh, and so, but I appreciate having an example in my house that I can, glory, father, help me be like you, but help me be like her. I don't know how she does it, but anyway. Praise God. So, uh, do I get any points for saying that? Okay, all right. <laughs> Amen. But you know, for a number of weeks, apart from that message, uh, we have been talking about or trying to, talking about revival. You may not think we've been talking about revival, but we have. Talking about revival, talking about the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. and. Uh, You'd have to go back a few services now, but I read you a vision that I came across that God gave to an evangelist in 1961, I think, right in in the 1960s. His name was Tommy Hicks. And if you remember in this vision, he saw the planet, but on the planet, he saw this, this giant so large that really the planet was just his footstool when he got stood up tall. Uh, And of course, the giant represented a rising body of Christ. But the first condition he saw the giant in as the giant stood to its feet is that it was clothed with tar, a tar-like dark, black, yucky substance. And of course, that dark, black uh, substance represented in the vision compromise the fallen state of the church and sin. But thank God as the, that giant in the vision raised up his hands, there was a cloud above the giant he saw. And you can go on YouTube and, and listen to him you know, rehearse that or in detail. You could Google it and it's, it's all there. And, uh, but as the hands of the giant pierced the cloud, this silver glory looking cloud, talking about praising and worshiping God, they pierced that and it began to rain. And the raindrops were silver drops representing of the glory of God beginning to happen. And the first thing the rain did was wash off that tar-like substance. Amen. And once the church was not only standing up with its hands raised, giving glory to God, once it was now clean and pure, that giant melted in the vision and became people who went about all the earth performing signs and wonders and mighty deeds and preaching the gospel around the world. And that's the will of God. 
uh, amen, that we would have this move where the body of Christ in a global way, right, stands up, purifies itself, sets itself apart, and then experiences the fullness of the last day outpouring where we have such a mass revival. I heard Pastor Nancy, uh, uh, I was listening to her, and she was talking about the importance of buildings and that many in our ministerial fellowship are working on buildings, uh, you know, believing for buildings, expanding buildings. And that's the Spirit of God, getting, getting the body of Christ ready to house. Amen. And we've got uh, this one to finish, and then the expansion on this side, and the expansion on that side, and the separate building over here. So I hope you're not tired. We've got a lot to do and to be blessed in. And that just means you've got to give bigger offerings, which means you've got to have more money, which means God wants to bless you big. <laughs> Amen. And, uh, but see, God is, is doing everything He can to get the church ready to receive this massive God's not, he doesn't want to save someone and then let them linger out there. That's not the will of God. He wants to put the precious harvest of the earth in word and spirit churches. Churches that are strong on the word and that are flowing in the Holy Ghost. And more and more and more, I'm seeing it lately right here in us. You know, people saying, we're coming here because, you know, over there, you just don't, you never have prayer. You don't have laying on of hands. Nobody talks about healing. You don't, nobody speaks in tongues. We need power. Amen. Amen. I, if I've heard it this week once, I've heard it five times already, just this week from different people. See, people are hungry. Yes. Amen. And they just hadn't found us yet, but they're going to. Yes. And many others like us that yes. God is preparing. Amen. But as we've endeavored in these services to be led by God, we have uh, been led by Him to talk about the very thing that uh, is preventing us from experiencing more of God's power, more of God's glory, uh, more of His miracles, the, the stronger, more glorious manifestations of His presence that many of you that I talk to, we long for that. We hunger for that. We want that. And... Uh, and so that has been this tar issue, the sin issue. Sin is still a problem. Amen. And that's what I talked about the last time I ministered on this subject is the problem of sin. Now, we're not going there. You're in Exodus 19. That's where I want you. But over in 1 John, we, talked, we saw that the Holy Ghost through John made this distinction between a sin that would lead unto death, meaning eternal death, and a sin that would not lead unto death, yet it's still a sin. So, you know, as believers, you know very well, because you live with you, that you're born again, you have the presence of God on the inside of you, the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit, but you sin at times. And John said in 1 John chapter 1, that if you say you don't sin at times, then we know something about you. We know you're a liar. <laughs> right? The word sin means to miss the mark. And I don't know everybody that's getting, anybody that's getting up every day and hitting the bullseye with God in every area all the time. Amen. Amen. But there's been such an emphasis on grace, and I'm, I'm a grace guy, don't get me wrong. Amen. Thank God for the grace of God. But there has been, in my view, an overemphasis, and the church has become too permissive. That Jesus has paid it all and it really doesn't matter 
how we live. And all you have to do is look and take notice of the absence of what is not happening. The absence of the tangibility of God's presence. The, the absence of signs, wonders, and miracles. The absence of the, the fullness of God's blessing in our lives will tell us that sin is still a problem. It may not, there is a sin not unto death. In other words, it won't send you to hell, but it'll flat break your fellowship with God, cut yourself off in, in terms of being able to really hear from Him. And uh, we, we talked uh, a little bit about how sin, one of the major dangers of sin is that sin hardens. Sin will harden you. In other words, it'll make you more calloused and numb and unfeeling towards God and the conviction of God and the presence of God. And you don't want to become insensitive because how if you cannot sense His presence and you're not quick to discern His dealings and His promptings with you, how are you going to pick up that leading to go left and not right because there's a car accident waiting over here if you go that way yeah. or not to get on that airplane or not to make this investment yeah. see it's not that God is not speaking in those moments but I'll just be honest with you the modern church today has become much too cozy with the world much too cozy with compromise much too cozy with sin and we just want to wink at it, come in, have a little 45-minute service and feel real good about ourselves, and talk about Jesus and thank God, you know, thank God for Jesus. But I tell you what, uh, sin is going to cost you if you keep it up. You know that word harden in Hebrews 3.13, there's a warning there in Hebrews 3.13 that we don't become hardened through the deceitfulness, the trickery of sin. Don't get tricked. Don't get duped. And that is, that word harden there means to render or make stubborn. Means to render, so sin will make repeated habitual sin that you just don't deal with, right? You just stick your fingers in there. You don't want to let a pastor, you don't want to let the word, you don't want to let the Holy Ghost, you don't want to let, you know, anyone speak to you about changing something in your life. Amen. And you just refuse it, refuse it, and you're going to just, I'm, I'm going to continue in this. I'm going to do this because I like it, because I want it. I don't think there's anything wrong about it. You are, that sin, that act is rendering you ever more stubborn. The secondary meaning of that word hardened means to make dry. To make dry. Amen. And so, again, to be hardened by sin... Now, God loves us in our sin. And I don't believe God's mad at us. But he would, he would rescue us from the awful effects of the sins we commit. God does not want us to live in broken fellowship with Him. He wants to enjoy unfettered, unhindered fellowship with you every day. He longs for that. But when you sin and you don't bring it to Him and confess it, your fellowship is broken. Amen. And it's on you to come to Him and get that corrected. Amen. But one of the things, one of the, another thing that's happening is, is you are drying out your spiritual life, which is very dangerous, especially in these last days. 
Because you know what dry people do? They stop going to church. And what are you going to do? What's going to happen to people that stop going? Man, I've had some people leave me in the last year. People I poured into and I prophesied to, and then they come back and go, oh, Pastor, man, God just read my mail. He used, thank you. And, and then I get these invitations sometimes. Hey, listen, man, I tell you what, you see anything in my life, Pastor. You see anything in my life. You know, I want you to tell me. You tell me. And then, okay, praise God. And, and they're really doing fine. Then all of a sudden they walk off and you never see them again. And you call them in love. Not in a judging way, but just in a loving way, a pastoral way. And they don't want to return phone calls anymore. And then their marriages break apart. And then their health deteriorates. And all kinds of terrible things happen. You know, you're not going to leave church uh, and not have a consequence for that. I'm not trying to scare you from leaving this church. I'm saying you better have a church and a pastor. And unless there's a major reason why you can't be there, you should be there. Because it's for your benefit. Hallelujah. See, that's one of the things that's, that's tricked the body of Christ is we have mistaken the mercy of God for His approval. And God having mercy on you, right? While you're sinning a sin. Keeping bad things from happening. Protecting you from the devil as much as he can legally without breaking his own word. In the midst to give you a space of time to repent. Don't mistake his mercy for his approval. Because you don't listen to that culture out there. And you have to be careful of what preacher you listen to out there. There are things that God approves of, and there are things that God does not approve of. Amen. And if you're okay doing something you know God's not approving of, you're hard. You're hard. What are you going to do to fix that? You're, you're in a precarious place. Amen. So anyway, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, now I'm not, I'm not meaning to bring this up and trying to, trying to say, ooh, Pastor Chris is a real spiritual guy. I try to be spiritual, but anyway. But uh, I got Reverend Randall Greer's, Greer's uh, monthly newsletter. Anybody all get that? Yeah. Oh, you ought to get it. You can sign up on his website. He's a great man of God, comes here periodically as God leads me to have him, and a genuine prophet in the land. And interestingly enough, his whole newsletter is about, the, about what we're talking about. Then I pick up Pastor Nancy's monthly newsletter, and she's talking about crucifying your flesh and getting your mind renewed. So I'm just saying the Holy Ghost is endeavoring not to just talk to this little group of people. He's trying to get the whole body of Christ to pay attention. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, so... Let's read some scripture here. We've talked long enough without reading any scripture. We better do that, right? Uh, Exodus 19. And um, here in Exodus 19, of course, the name of the book is the Exodus. This is all about God getting the children of Israel freed from Egyptian bondage. Now, we know that Egypt today, for us as Christians, is a type. It's a shadow, right? What is it a type of? The world. Egypt is a type of the world the kingdom of darkness, and our life before Christ in sin. Because we were a slave to that, just like they were. All right? 
Well, now at Exodus 19, God has got them out of Egypt, which is a type and shadow of they're not a child of the devil anymore. They're not a slave anymore. They have escaped that bondage. Amen. But think about it. Does that mean God's done for them with them? No. See, a lot of people that, you know, uh, a lot of people, this is what they think. Okay, I'm saved. I'm just biding my time now till I go to heaven. Well, God didn't get those Israelites out of Egypt. And that's, that was the whole goal. No. See you. Hang on. No, He brought them out of Egypt to take them somewhere. Amen. He brought them out of Egypt, really, the number one, so that He might have a people. Among the pagan nations of the world, that God would have a people. Now, He couldn't dwell in them back then. Because Jesus hadn't come to shed His blood yet. But God wanted a people He could dwell with and be among. And they be His people. And He be their God. And they were to live different than every other nation on the earth. They were to live for Him only. And because if they would do that, live only for Him, they were going to have His presence. He was going to dwell among them. He was going to fight their battles. He was going to keep them healed. He was going to give them victory. He was going to bless their socks off financially. He was going to make sure that they never had miscarriages or birth defects and that everybody lived out their life and went on, you know, to be with our ancestors. That's what God wanted. And it's all type and shadow for us today. God didn't save us so we could be saved. Salvation is not a means to an end. Okay, save. See you later. No, He got you out of Egypt so that He could have a people. Right? So that He could have a people. And and that He would bring... uh, Let's read it. Sorry. (laughs) I'm going to get my clock wound up too tight here. In verse 9 it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and believe you forever. And Moses told the words uh, of the people to the Lord, unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them. Amen. Now you need to mark that. Sanctify them. What's the word sanctify mean? It means to set them apart. That's what the word sanctify means. To be saved, friend, is to be set apart. It is to be set apart. Set apart from who? Everyone else who does not know God. And we are not to live our saved lives like the unsaved. That is the very opposite of what God's plans and intentions are. Other than your little fish bumper sticker and your cross in your window or whatever, is there anything about you that the world should recognize pretty quick about being around you that's different? Amen. We're not going to be able to be this mighty army full of God's clothed with God's power and glory going out the whole earth performing signs, wonders, and miracles, living like the world, looking like the world. Thinking like the world. Amen. And so by type and shadow, you know, you can see God's will for us today in what He's done back there with them. And uh, so He said, uh, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people, sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes. 
Now, that's symbolic, right? Wash their clothes means clean up. Get your life cleaned up. And be ready against the third day. For the third day, the Lord will come down. That sounds like an outpouring to me. The Lord will come down in the sight of all the people on Mount Sinai. Now, I don't want to run this rabbit trail too far, but we'll step out on it a few yards. This whole passage is prophetic. This whole passage here is prophetic. Amen. You know, and I don't have time to take you there, but we know that God said a day for me is a thousand years. One day for me, God, is a thousand of your earth years. Peter said that. Be mindful of this one thing. Don't forget this one thing. A day is with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. In another place, uh, the Bible says that yesterday is as a thousand years with the Lord. Amen. So in terms of that, how long has Jesus been gone? We are in the very... Okay, let's, let's think about history. If, you, if we were to just hypothetically, I'm not a date setter, okay, but hypothetically historians tell us that Jesus was raised from the dead on about 28 or 29 A.D. 28, 29 A.D. A day is with the Lord's a thousand years. So a thousand years, one day would be 1,028. 1,029. What would two days be? 2,028 or 9. What year is it about to be? 2000. So for 2,000 years, what has God been wanting the church to do? To make yourself ready to meet the Lord. To make yourself ready that God would have a people who's sanctified, who is set apart, amen, who's living clean because on the third day, amen, amen. calendars and all that, nobody's going to know for sure. But this church age is going to end and sometime very early on the third day, come on, the Lord is going to come with the sound of a great trumpet and we're all going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. It's not likely you're going to live out the fullness of your life down here on earth. So what kind of life are you living right now? And before that, so you've got to back it up, before this day comes, we've got to have this global revival. We've got to gather in the precious fruit of the earth. Every word the prophets have spoken under the unction of the Spirit must come to pass. So we are up against the clock. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. And um, so anyway, that's a very important passage. And uh, because God was going to come down, He did come down. And if they weren't ready... His presence coming down was going to bring judgment on them instead of blessing because you can't meet the Lord in any old condition. And this is why, see, this is why God is withholding His mighty, tangible presence and glory in so many congregations because if He were to manifest, they're going to have a lot of, the ushers are going to need to be body bag people because there are going to be people laid out all over the congregation who are not living right. They're liars. Fornicators, all kinds of things. Amen. And so, anyway, praise God. You with me? But I wanted to read a few words that is so powerful. Is this okay? To kind of give you a, a, a different view of, of, of some things that, that God is saying. And uh, so, 
I'll just, he's going to quote a scripture and then I'll just, I'm reading out of this. And when the people saw, he's quoting out of Exodus 32 now. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods. Make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that uh, brought us out of the land of Egypt, we know not what has become of him. And now he begins to talk. We are presently in the modern day golden bull calf era. In the day of Moses, the people adamantly refused to wait on God. Rebelliously, they refused to wait on God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. They said, think about this, we will worship who we want to, and we will worship the way we want to. Does that sound familiar? Tons of churches out there doing that same attitude. Tell us how to worship God. We're going to worship God the way we want. We have done a survey in our community and this is what the people want. That's what they're telling you. We will worship who we want to and the way we want to. Note, the people were not waiting on Moses. They were waiting on God to send Moses back with his directions for them. So they had that wrong. What is wrong with what they did? Question mark. Everything. First, the people demanded that Aaron make them a God to lead them. What they demanded was wrong. They wanted an idol to see and to worship. Second, what Aaron did was absolutely ungodly, unholy, and impure. He listened to the people because he wanted to be popular with them and appease them. He disrespected God to please the worldly desires of the people. I just described for you to the modern church out there. I heard a minister say he was bringing worldly things into the church to please the people. I was astonished by the blatant disobedience and disregard for God. He sent to the world to get the modern day golden bull and bring it into the church so that the people could behold it. And he said it pleased them. Aaron did the same thing in his day. He made a golden bull for the people to behold. It was a graven image or idol like the modern day ungodly objects. I realize people think this is innocent fun, but it isn't funny to the Holy Ghost. The third thing was the people became more ungodly and they danced around the bull as the fire light flickered upon it. They committed sin as they danced and sang around it. The fourth thing in Exodus 32, 26, Aaron was responsible for their sin for if he'd been firm, it would not have happened. Leadership matters. He blamed the people, claiming he had uh, to give in to them and to their desires. His most ridiculous claim was that a bull spontaneously and unexpectedly came out of the fire. Liar, liar, pants on fire, right? <laughs> Ministers must be firm and not give in to worldly carnal desires of the people today. Get the bull out. <laughs> you just got to know... Reverend Greer, and that's, uh, that would mean more to you. Yeah, most all Christians make, uh, mistake His mercy as approval for their idol worship and sin. Many have stripped off their sacred robes and they dance around the golden bull today. I can assure you that Jesus Christ the Messiah does not agree with, approve, or condone the idol worship or sin in the church today. Sooner or later, your sin will catch up to you because you have opened the door to the devil with these idols. 
Satan will gladly oppress you, defeat you, and destroy you as the Lord watches in sorrow because he can't stop it. To do so would be to violate the word. The Holy Spirit is grieved about these things. I ask God to have mercy upon the church. Mm-mm-mm. Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, let me read just something else here and then I'm going to go on to something. He talks about a, a meeting over in Bransom and he got over in the spirit and, and God revealed something to him. He said, the revelation I received on that Wednesday was that God was not withholding his miracles, signs and wonders or his glory from us. So that's what we're talking about. He revealed that he had already sent it. But the church was not in a position to receive it. The church must work on the receiving end. Y'all with me? Now, I just want to ask this about World Harvest. See, I'm not responsible for all that uh, Wild Wild West stuff going on out there. I'm, not, I'm responsible for what's going on right here. That's all that God's given me responsibility for right now. Amen. Is this church willing to work on the receiving end? Well, be careful about what you say. Yeah, because that's the right answer. Amen. But you know, it's going to mean it's going to mean each person, not in a self-condemning, oh my gosh, I need to beat myself up kind of way. Not that at all. But to prayerfully evaluate yourself and to ask God, Am I pleasing you in the way I live? And if you could give me two or three things that I could be working on in my life. I'm ready to write those things down and go about the real work of changing. Amen. And that includes me. Amen. Otherwise, we'll just come in and we'll have what we've been having. And that maybe that's not bad, but I know there's more, see. And I'm not dissing what we have, but when you know there's more, so much more. Oh my goodness, so much more. See, I'm just not satisfied knowing there's so much more. So much more, right? People flying out of wheelchairs and cancer patients being healed and mortgages being paid off and marriages being put together and uh, people's addiction being broken off in a moment. They don't have to do 12 steps for 25 years. (laughs) Amen. And people coming up in the knowledge of the word. Hallelujah. Well, see, I'm thankful, but I'm just not content. So, but we've got to be willing to work on the receiving side, not the sending in. God sent it, but we don't qualify for it. Now, here's what I want to spend a few minutes talking about, and I'm almost out of time already. We are, this is what he said, we are too, he gives three words here, you want to write these down. We are too irreverent, I-R-R-E-V-E-R-E-N-T, irreverent, too fleshly, and too worldly. So if the church is going to work on the receiving side, we've got to deal with the. And I believe this is a prophet of God speaking in line with the word. I've been watching his ministry for many years. Amen. Amen. Lines up with a lot of scripture. Hallelujah. The receiving side is we've got to be less irreverent, less fleshly and less worldly. He goes on and says there will be no outpouring. Until we repent and turn to God with all our hearts. I know the main idea today is that Jesus has done it all and we do nothing. That is not true. 
We are to live a life above reproach, cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, for without holiness no man will see the Lord and His glory. We must pray and cleanse the temple that belongs to God. In other words, quit praying for God to send it. Pray that we become worthy to receive it. What a word. What a word. Hallelujah. Well, it's 8-12. So, um, so we have to become, we have to go from irreverent to reverent. We have to go from fleshly to spiritual. And we have to go from worldly to godly. So all, I, all I'm going to be able to do tonight is to give you a little bullet point, cliff note, highlight on maybe those three things, give you something to pray about and think about until we can come back together. Amen? Webster's Dictionary. And I love, I don't love, I like a lot Noah Webster's 1828 Dictionary. And there's a free access to it online. It's just great. Noah Webster was a born again, he may have been spirit filled, I don't know, great man of God who wrote that, wrote that one of America's first dictionaries. And in 1828, this is his definition for irreverent. Irreverent is lacking reverence and not entertaining and not manifesting due regard to the supreme being. Now, I know that's a mouthful. He said not entertaining or manifesting due regard to the supreme being. If you want to know what reverence is, it means respect respect. So what Reverend Greer is telling us by the Spirit, I believe, is that if we're going to have an outpouring, we're going to have to be more respectful of God. More respectful of God. More, and that means everything that involves Him, everything that surrounds Him, His kingdom, His ways, His Word, His Jesus, His Spirit, His ministers, His church, His, the brethren... Amen. We're going to have to be more respectful. Less disrespectful. Uh, another definition of reverence means uh, honor or holy awe or holy fear. Amen. To have a holy awe or a holy fear. I think you have time to turn to this one. We could put it up on the screen. Psalm 89 verse 7. Psalm 89 verse 7 says, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints. Right? And to be held, excuse me, in reverence by all those around Him. He is to be held in reverence by all those around Him. Now, people really, I've got whole teachings and it would take a long time to, to re-go over the fear of the Lord. But man, we need it. We need it back. Now, we don't want to, dis, to mistake the fear of the Lord means coming in and it's got to be heavy. That every time we gather in the sanctuary, it's got to be somber and sober and serious. And we can't ever smile. A lot of people think about reverence and they think, hmm, hmm. Right? When really, I found out this about the Father. God's a whole lot of fun. I've had a lot of fun with the Father. He's got a wonderful sense of humor. 
Absolutely. And there are times where what he's doing in the moment calls for a holy, reverent. But you know, in the times where God is endeavoring to get us to rejoice and celebrate Him and to not enter into that flow, that's irreverent. That's disrespectful. When it's evident that God is endeavoring to get the people over into celebration and praise, maybe dancing in the Spirit, lifting our hands, and to stand there like a telephone pole full of tar, that is disrespectful. That is something that's got to, it's a bad habit that's got to be broken out of people's lives. Amen? Really, reverence means to be humbly and joyfully submitted to Him. Amen. So I wrote down a few things just, you know, thinking about it today that I know that God would consider disrespectful or irreverent. And number one, making the church like the world. That's disrespectful. That's just disrespectful. You can't find that in the Bible. To go to some dark dive and some ACD concert or some, something that's real popular in the world and then set up your stage and set up your sanctuary like that. You know, heaven is bright. You know, the, in God, the Bible says in God there is light. God is light and in Him there's no darkness at all. And a lot of churches I go to today, they're full of people, but you need a flashlight to find your seat and to read your Bible. Why are we celebrating and creating a darkness atmosphere? That's not right. It's not God. God's not endorsing it. I, I'm not going to question the motivation of some preacher out there that set that up. They're deceived. But God's not approving of that. To make the church like the world. And people want to quote, well, Paul became all things to all people. He didn't become a homosexual to win a homosexual. What are you talking about? That's crazy. Yes, he engaged culturally, right? He was smart, right? But he didn't compromise his integrity. He didn't sin, you know, and get drunk to win the drunk or shoot up to win the drug addict. That's crazy. (laughs) It's just ridiculous. Another thing is becoming like the world to reach people. That's irreverent. That's disrespectful. You're saying you know better than God. Jesus didn't become like a sinner, but the sinners knew that Jesus loved them. That's what we need to be. When we get around a sinner at work, at school, wherever we are, they ought to know we love them. But they ought to be able to see they don't live like me. They don't talk like me. They don't value what I value, but I feel loved by them. That's how we're going to win them. And another way we're going to win them is by loving each other. Loving each other. When the church starts loving each other, people want to be part of a group that is committed to one another, will fight for one another, stand up for one another, take care of one another. It's it's appalling to me. I'm not going to stand here and tell you everything I know. It's classified, right? But stuff I hear even this week about churches that are not taking care of their people. It's, an, it's, it's thievery for them to keep uh, cashing that church's paycheck. Hallelujah! <laughs> you know what's disrespectful? Watering down God's Word. Changing this. Oh no, that was for that. That's disrespectful. 
When I say something and then my staff doesn't repeat it the way I, and what I said, I'll, pastor, no, you need to say it the way I said it. Put the same tone on it. Amen. Well, here's another one. Taking a casual approach to your Christian life is disrespectful. Jesus paid too high of a price for you to be casual. He died. He shed his blood. He was whipped. Come on. He became sin for three days and nights. He was separated from the Father. He was tormented in hell. What? So you could go, be casual about it? No. No. That's disrespectful. How about being on social media while I'm preaching? How about texting your girlfriend, your buddy, your neighbor, your grandpa, working on your to-do list on your phone like I don't see you? That's disrespectful. And I may not see you, but the Holy Ghost sees you. You should have stayed home. Amen. You know, another thing I know God finds irreverent or disrespectful is not doing things His way. This, the, our country has said, we're not going to do marriage God's way. We're going to do it our way. That's not going to work out good. I'm just telling you, that's not going to work out good. You know, dads, you better be a dad. You're going to answer to Jesus. Moms, you better be moms. Wives better be godly wives. Husbands better be godly husbands. Pastors better be real pastors. You know, I'm going to repeat. I'm not going to say it as of myself by the Spirit. I'm going to repeat something the prophet Dr. Dufresne said. He said in this revival, you're going to see preachers falling dead in their pulpits. And they're going to be keeling over because God's going to finally have to judge them because they're not right. They're not real pastors. They don't have the anointing to be a pastor. They're just a good businessman or a good charismatic personality. But they got no business standing behind that pulpit. they got no anointing on them for that. Right. Hallelujah. All right. Praise God. Uh, you know, um, what's his name? Noah Webster. He said irreverence is lacking respect. For superiors. And how many know God is superior? God is superior. So there's much to be said on that. The other thing uh, that he said was, we're too fleshly. Let me give you something to think about real quick on fleshly. What's that mean, fleshly? Where a lot of these negative things really is just the absence of the right thing. It's just the absence of the right thing. Darkness is simply the absence of light. How do we fix darkness? Turn the light on. Darkness doesn't have a chance. In the presence of light, darkness must flee away. So we wouldn't have to, if we would focus center up on, I'm going to let the Holy Ghost talk to me about being respectful. Now see, this is kind of a funny thing in how the Holy Ghost works. And don't anybody get mad. I had, Brett said something as the head usher before the last Wednesday night service. He didn't say it to me. He said it to himself. Because he was watching people hop our ropes. And he said to himself, something ought to be said. I didn't have it on my mind. It certainly wasn't in my notes. And then all of a sudden I find myself last Wednesday night, or the Wednesday before that, talking about that. See, the Holy Ghost just... (laughs) Now if you did that, listen, you're forgiven. Right? Praise God. I don't care what kind of justification you think you have. There's authority and there's order in this church and you're not in charge if you're hopping over that rope without permission. 
And see, if we stumble over little stuff like that, oh my gosh, man, we're far away from the Shekinah glory of God showing up. I'm just telling Now, if you've got a hearing problem, or my breath is not right like it should, and you, there's a <laughs> medical reason why you need to be in that back row. But really, if not that, a legitimate thing, if it was totally legit, uh, then you could go to Brother Jerry, who's our head usher tonight, and say, listen, I know you got those rope tops, but here's, I'd put, and be submissive about it. But apart from that, the only reason you would do that is because you're rebelling against our authority here in this church. And God goes, God goes, let me write that down. Let me write that down. Pastor may never say anything to you about it, but God goes, oh, I saw that. Let me write that down. My, my honey over here has a rebellion problem. We're going to work on her on that, Jesus. We're going to work on that rebellion problem. Because that rebellion problem, I love her. That rebellion problem is going to be her undoing or that guy's undoing. So we're going to help him on that. So see, when I correct the, you on this kind of stuff, you ought to thank me. Don't get mad at me. I shouldn't become your enemy because I tell you truthful things. <laughs> Correction is a good thing. We need it to get where we're wanting to go. Amen. Okay. Fleshly. Fleshly. Fleshly, to be fleshly, is the absence of spirituality. That's, if you don't, if, if you want to be really fleshly, all you have to do is to do nothing spiritual. The word fleshly or carnal, the, you'll read that word in the King James a lot, carnal, it just means natural. Carnal is natural, right? Natural, fleshly, carnal. Well, what that, what, when Paul writes about that, when you read that in the New Testament, what he's saying is you're, you're, you're a born-again believer who is still dominated by their fleshly nature. And that's easy to be, right? To be saved, to be born again. You're out of Egypt, but Egypt is still in you, brother. Right? Didn't they get out of Egypt? God got them out of Egypt. They died in that wilderness. You want to know why? Because they were unwilling to get to Egypt out of them. So once you're saved, you get out of Egypt, you must immediately begin, and it's a process for everybody. That's why we shouldn't impose legalism on people and have hard and fast religious rules on people. Right? If, if I smelled smoke on Marilyn's breath, I'm going to climb in her grill like nothing else because she is further along than that. But someone who's been born again two weeks or six months or a year and a half, I'm probably not going to say anything to them about that. Right? Because we're all at different places and different stages of our development. And I may be the pastor, but I'm not the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost is the one who sets the pace of development. But every single one of you, no matter where you are in your spiritual development... If you're hearing from God at all, you have a short list. You may not have written it down, but the Lord. I constantly have a short list. I want this changed, and I'll help you change it, but I want it changed. You understand? Son, sonny boy, love you. I want that changed. I want that griping fixed. Right? 
you keep disobeying me in this area, I want you to stop that. Settle that. You know, some things take, sadly, I'd have to say, have taken me years. I got that one thing on my list for years. You know, I found out God is patient. He is patient. Remember I told you how he reached over and told me, he said, son, I just want you to know, I just reached over and I pushed the pause button on your life and on your ministry till you get that settled. It's really sad. I'm so dominated by my flesh in that one area that I had to put a bit and a bridle. I just had to humble myself and finally do. You know what's working for me? My brother right here, Brother Paul, he texts me every morning, 6 a.m., say, Pastor Chris, you out of bed? Because God told me, son, for the rest, right, six days a week. He didn't say for the rest of your life. Maybe if I, maybe they'll, he'll change that someday. But he said, six days a week, you get up at 6 a.m. and you spend time with me. Don't pray for the church. Don't read somebody else's book. I got in trouble with that. He goes, you're, you're reading his book. I said, yeah, what's wrong with that? He said, you're fellowshipping with him. I told you I wanted you to fellowship with me. Mm-hmm. It's our time. Yeah. Okay. See, I'm learning. Yeah. But you know, I fought that flesh, that thing about sleeping. You know the Bible says don't love sleep. That's my, un, that's my least favorite scripture in the Bible. No, I said that. Yes, it did. Now you're accountable. It says do not love sleep. You weren't ready to hear it. I'll find it. I think it's in the Psalms. It's in the Proverbs. Now God will give you sweet sleep, but not too much. But listen, that sounds like a small thing, doesn't it? The instruction from the Lord. I want you to get up. You can sleep in one day a week. I don't care which day you pick. I'm gonna, you get up six. You know, a decade went by. A whole decade. And that was the thing God said. No more progress in your life or ministry until you get that settled. I have cried. I have talked to the Lord. I have interceded. I have begged. I have been rebellious. I stuck my fingers in my ear and act like... I didn't hear that. I have tried to reason and say, you know what? I miss God that day. God didn't say that to me. (laughs) He wouldn't, Andy, he would not let it go. Seemed like a small thing, but you know what God's wanting me to demonstrate? Number one, he's trying to tell me, you and I having time together is important to me. Number two, he's saying, I, I, for where I'm going in my life and ministry, he says, you have to demonstrate to me that you can master your flesh. And my heart has always been to get up. But those days I've missed it, I was dominated. My flesh won out. And in that area, I'm fleshly. I'm carnal. Doesn't mean God doesn't love me. Doesn't mean I'm not... Born again doesn't mean that I'm, you know, all that. But it means, see, I'm, I'm dominated by my flesh in that area. Amen. So there is a call on every believer's life to progressively become less and less dominated by the flesh. Now, I don't know what your thing is. I know Brother Ken, he springs up like off a diving board. He leaps out of bed at like 4.30 a.m. He is whistling. He is happy. I don't get him. He needs prayer. I don't understand that thing. 
Maybe God would tell him, I want you to stay up till midnight every night and study your Bible. And then he'd probably really be, no, he does that too. He's a machine. I need to have him lay hands on me. He's out there doing security for us tonight. Some people are just, but notice I'm not wired that way in my natural being. You know, God put me in a position where I had to act exactly opposite of my natural wiring. Right. He wants me to take a spiritual hammer and a spiritual nail and crucify that flesh and demonstrate to God day after day that I can make my flesh do something it doesn't want to do in order to obey God. Mm-hmm. And until, see, without passing tests like that, you can't get over into the fullness of what God has for you. Because to get over in the fullness of whatever it is God has for you, you're going to have to have your flesh where it belongs and that's beneath your spiritual feet. See, if you let your flesh run your life, your flesh will lead you to ruin. Right? What is overeating? It's flesh out of control. It's flesh that's not... You, you know, some, some food, some drink you can't seem to say no to. That's your flesh out of control. How about our sexual appetites? God gave us those sexual appetites, but you better keep them in the right channel. Or those sexual appetites will destroy you and disqualify you from being a carrier of that precious anointing. So again, I, I know I'm... Looking at the clock here, that's why I have one. Hallelujah. What does Paul, what God says, walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's, that's in Galatians chapter 5, around verse 16. Walk in the spirit. That's how you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So don't, don't get your, the, the thing your flesh is dominant in and don't get all consumed with that. Turn your back on that. And be occupied with spiritual things. Pray in tongues, worship God, read the Bible, go to church. See, if you're the word walk in the spirit, the word walk means to be occupied with. So occupy occupy yourself with spiritual activities, and it says you won't. You won't fulfill the lusts of your flesh because you're over in this vein of spirituality that keeps your flesh in check. So that's the first thing he said. Then he did say a few verses later in Galatians 5 that every person who truly belongs to Christ has crucified the flesh with its appetites and lusts. So if we really belong to Jesus, there should be some evidence that you have put a rusty nail through some part of your flesh. You know why I use that language, crucify your flesh? He's trying to get over to you, it's going to hurt. <laughs> now Paul, he, he acts like he's Brother Ken out there. Because he texts me right on the dot at 6 a.m. He's probably been up for an hour and a half praying in the Holy Ghost and being a priest and being spiritual and prophesying and all that. And he sends me these rosy little texts that my flesh just... <laughs> Good morning, Pastor. Glory to God. It's a new day. And I, li- I really like to keep it coming. But my flesh goes, oh, Man, I really picked the right guy to hold me accountable in this area. 
You want to know how you're, you want proof for yourself that you're living the Christian life properly? Your flesh is unhappy most of the time. Now, see, you get your flesh retrained and it's easier for me than it used to be. But I'm still not ready to call off Brother Paul because I don't trust my flesh to slip back. So how do I know if I'm living this Christian life right? My flesh ain't happy. So your flesh will go, oh, I want that. No. Ooh, she's pretty. Stop that. Look at your wedding ring. Remember that, dummy? You're off the market. Ooh, that looks good. Stop it. No, you can't have it. Buddy calls you up. Hey, we're going out. Uh, and your flesh goes, ooh, no. That's what your flesh ought to be getting. No, 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 you can't. No. Only a little. Like a corner of that cookie. Not the whole thing. Some of you are saying, okay, you can eat half the sleeve. <laughs> And that's, hey, if that's progress, we'll celebrate it. At least there's half the package left in there. Some of you just spiritual giants, you only ate half the bag of chips. (laughs) And we're not going to get to worldly. But we're going to have to come back. You can stand up on your feet tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, we're talking about some hard things, some meaty things, some spiritual things, and we're laughing a little bit, and that helps it go down a little better. But can I say something to you as we close? I sense in my spirit the Father is pleased, very pleased and excited with us that we would be willing to address this issue. Amen. And that He's got a people who are at least half interested. Amen. In... uh, in being His people. He doesn't want to share us with the world. He saved us so we could be His. And He knows that's a process to really... Right? But that's His aim, that's His goal, that God would have a people. And uh, so I just wanted to encourage you that, that the, the real strong witness of my heart is, is the Father's excited and He's pleased. He's not mad at us. He's excited. Uh, and He's not moved by your fleshliness. And he's been so gracious. I realize how in some ways I've been disrespectful to him. You know, because there have been those times where maybe I wanted to deer hunt. you got to get up at five. And my flesh springs up to do that. Why would I not have more excitement to have fellowship with the God of the universe? It's disrespectful. That I would give, my flesh would give something to a bush in the cold that I won't want to give the Father. You know what I mean? I've been disrespectful to the Father and to the Holy Ghost with my cell phone. Be praying in tongues and ding! Ooh, what's that? And break the flow of the Spirit to go check out what's on my phone. See, these are just little things that we need to just let the Lord deal with us about. Don't you deal with the other one. Let the Holy Ghost deal with you. Amen. Father, we come.